It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. It's our opportunity to sit down once a week and have a conversation about the week's headlines with some of the East End's award-winning journalists. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com and Express Magazine. Uh, my co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good panel this week. We have Beth Young, who is the editor of East End Beacon. Good morning, Beth. Good morning. Good to have you. Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise. How you doing? And uh, we have a celebrity in our midst. We have Christopher Gangemi, who is fresh off of his win at the New York Press Association Convention for Rookie of the Year. Chris, Congratulations. Oh. Congratulations. Oldest rookie of the year ever. Thank you. Chris from Stampton Star, staff writer at the Stampton Star. Good for you, though, Chris. I, I think it's well-deserved. It's a nice uh, we're happy. We're happy to have you in the industry. Definitely. I'm going to speak for all of us when I say that. So Thank I want to start with a conversation about open government. We had a story this week, Bill, about um, Southampton Village. And there's reason, and this is not new. We have had some issues with the board in the past, but... There's some reason to believe that that is a board that is having conversations in something called executive session that they really aren't supposed to be having there. Can can you sort of describe the situation and let's talk about why it matters? Sure. Well, and let's start with saying that that I think there are probably um, many many local boards that that kind of test the the open meetings law with executive sessions and and so for for years this is a a battle that that we fight and we heard whispers um about Southampton Village board and and them talking about things in executive session that um that really is restricted by by the state's open meetings law what the, the topics that you you can you can talk about um you know ongoing personnel negotiations uh legal advice from attorneys that that type of thing um but we hadn't really gotten anywhere with it but but this week um uh mayor jesse warren um gave us a copy of a, a printed out agenda um for for a, an executive session um late last month um, that included just uh, a lot of odd things, um, in, including the building department's attendance at land use board meetings, um, a fountain at, at Agawam Park, a landscaping plan, and a reality television show's request to use the village seal in, in their television show. Um, and, and none of these things appear to be things that, uh, topics that should be discussed um privately you know you know that um that, that yeah, we, should make, should... we should make that point that an executive session is behind closed doors the public is escorted out um and the cameras are shut off right correct yeah i mean it becomes private at, at that point and and there are legitimate reasons why a, you know why a board would need to have private discussions outside the public view um but the state limits you know limits the topics that that you can do that to to protect the the spirit of of governing and and the sunshine and you know open open to uh the government so so we asked the you know we we asked the the village board members about it and you know and they all kind of um hemmed and hawed and said that, that these were legitimate things that um that they involved um you know certain negotiations or contractual negotiations or whatever um and and defended them being um part of executive sessions and uh brendan o'reilly and uh, and uh, uh kayla riley who, who uh, both reported on on the story um sought the advice of some experts the committee on on open government which is a state agency um and and then um a couple other organizations new york coalition for open government which is a nonprofit. And, and and leaders of those groups said said no from 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 a limited you know from a limit this limited agenda we showed them the agenda and and uh, granted the the agenda items were like one line printed um but from that agenda it didn't appear that that these um that these topics um should be discussed in 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 private denise why does this matter hmm. 
Well, because people, I mean, the short answer is the public has a right to know. You know, the public has a right to know what is being discussed, who is saying what, and how decisions are made. Because they are conducting these bodies and entities that are doing these, having these meetings are conducting the public's business. It's not a private company. It's the public's business. And so there is supposed to be a presumption of openness. There's supposed to be a presumption of access to records under the Freedom of Information Law, a presumption of access to meetings and the right to attend them, the right to photograph and record them even. Um, there, There's eight eight exceptions to the open meeting that allows for executive sessions. And they are pretty narrow exceptions. Um, matters which, if you just indulge me here, matters which will imperil the public safety if disclosed, a ma any matter that may disclose the identity of a law enforcement agent or informer, information relating to current or future investigation or prosecution of a criminal offense, which would imperil law enfor enforcement if disclosed, discussions regarding proposed pending or current litigation, collective, and my cat is weighing in, coll <laughs> collective negotiations pursuant to Article 14, so, you know, collective bargaining agreement discussions, um, the medical, financial, credit, or employment history of a particular person or corporation or matters leading to their hiring or dismissal. Okay, those are the, the very kind of narrowly scoped personnel matters, right? Um, the preparation, grading, or administration of examinations, and the proposed acquisition, sale, or lease of real property, or proposed acquisition of securities, or sale or exchange of securities held by the public body, but only when publicity would substantially affect their value. So, you know, when they say, sense. oh, we're going to go discuss negotiations, or we're going to discuss contracts, or we're going to discuss litigation, that's not the way you're supposed to even go into executive session because that doesn't qualify. Um, and pers personnel yeah. is always the the, the yeah. broad. Well, we're going to discuss personnel. Personnel, but you can see there's a very limited uh, yeah. exception for per for personnel use. Absolutely, so, and I think you know. So that, I mean, that's absolutely. what the limitations are. But th this is violated constantly. We yeah. find. I don't know about you. I mean, it's like absolutely. you know, it's violated constantly. Um, just, just just the fact that that this board had a, a written agenda for things that wanted to discuss in executive session um, drew criticism from one of the experts that that we talked to that that said that executive session should never be planned that that the board should be discussing um, uh, items agenda items um, things before you know uh, things before the board should be discussed. And at some point during that discussion, they need to seek legal advice or or it seems to be impinging on one of the, the exemptions that, that Denise talked about. At that point, then they should say, oh, okay, we, we need to discuss this in an executive session. And then you have a vote of the board to, to, to go into executive session, to close the regular meeting, go into an executive session, um, and and then come back out of executive session and consider deliberate can further consider the deliberations. The fact that they had an agenda with ten items on it that said, "This is what we're going to talk about in an executive session meeting." Um, I don't agree with that because I I think it's foolhardy to imagine that you know discussion of collective bargaining agreement negotiations is going to be something that's going to surprise the town board or the village board. I mean, there have to be things that they know about. The point is. The things that were on that list that you read earlier were things that are not that don't come within these exceptions. Basically, discussing right. a landscape plan, like how does that, you know? And but one, one of one of the items was an Easter brunch. Um, I, I yeah, can't see fun. how that violates anything to have that. I think we lost Bill here for a second. Beth and Chris, I want to bring you guys into the conversation. Do you do you run into this? And I wonder how common we think it is that. Uh, that boards are violating. Um, Beth, you've you've been covering boards for a long time. Is this something that you've seen on a regular basis that the exec the executive sessions can be start to be abused by boards? And I think it happens sort of organically sometimes that the boards just sort of 
find this new option that they didn't know they had, and then they start overusing it a little. Right. You know, and there's that issue. There's also, you know, anytime a majority of the board meets, even if it's informally, there's a quorum. So they could all bump into each other in the hallway and decide something, and the public doesn't know. Um, but one of the big problems, I mean, because because they're, the cameras aren't rolling during executive session, you really don't know what happened unless you have people who are willing to talk to the press. And, and you know, that's a very, uh, very careful line you have to you have to walk as a journalist to make sure that people trust you with that information and to use it responsibly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Bill. Can, can you guys hear me now? I'm sorry. Yep. Yes. Um, yes. Kudos, kudos to the mayor for for coming forward and and saying that you know he had he had concerns uh, about this and um, you know I will I will qualify that by saying it's an election year in in, in the village for 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 several people and and, and I'm not attributing motivations to that but um, good for him for coming forward and 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 giving us the list and saying. Um, you know, something's rotten here and, and and needs to be looked at. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, this is this is sort of a fight that journalists take on to try and hold officials' feet to the fire about open government. But it's not. I mean, and I mean, I think one of the big misconceptions is the word press doesn't appear anywhere in the open meetings law. It's not about the press. We're representing the public and the public is who is being shut out of these conversations. And that's really the problem. Yeah. And I think that Beth's point is good. Um, when you ask, is this a problem? Well, how do we know? I mean, because we don't know what they're talking about in the meetings and, you know, without that, um, agenda that, um, you guys were given, you know, we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now. So, it is it is an issue. I, I noticed the East Hampton Village Board often goes into executive session under the ruse of, you know, we have to talk about real estate matters. And um which is legitimate. They if sure. if they're having a conversation about buying real estate, you don't want to have that conversation in public because you show your hand and you're in negotiations and that makes sense. Yeah, but it's just um I, I actually maybe I'm a little guilty of just shutting down at that point. I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to talk about real estate, you know. And I, you know, um, they're an executive session. Oh, it doesn't include me, you know. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's something to I haven't really thought of too much about. But you know, that's one of the issues with that is the conversations leading up to should we buy this property have to take place in a public meeting. That the should we buy is a public conversation. It's once you get to the point of mm. how much are we willing to pay, you can go into private and have that conversation. But those are the, the lines that are drawn. And Denise, the other thing that's frustrating here, and Chris touched on it, if public officials themselves are not policing this, we'd never know about it. That it's really up to the public officials since it's all happening behind closed doors. It's well, difficult I mean for us to know otherwise. There are some tells that you have to like, there are some clues because, um, you know, what we've seen over and over again is things just mysteriously appear on the public agenda and everybody's in agreement that they're going to do X, Y, and Z, or that they're going to adopt a, a code or they're going to grant a special permit or something, you know, whatever the case may be, but there hasn't been a single public discussion about it. I mean, we see that, I mean, and let's not forget school boards. I don't know anything about how the school boards operate on the South Fork, but every school board that I've ever had anything to do with covering from, you know, Miller Place, Mount Sinai to Orient, uh, they violate the, these laws and these laws apply to them all the time. Yeah. And I mean, in, in Riverhead, we see school boards vote on very important matters of public interest and public, you know, substance, um, without a single word of discussion. So either they're like, you know, voting on their two hundred million dollar budget or whatever <laughs> the case may be these days, without thinking about it or discussing it, which would be it seems to me malpractice and on its on its own, or they're having all these discussions behind closed doors. And yeah. years ago, when I brought that up to a, a former board member, former board president at the time, 
she said to me, well, of course we are. We don't want to look stupid. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) so I called the executive, the committee on open government spoke to the executive director at the time. And he said, well, you know, unfortunately for them, looking stupid is not an exception to open meetings. (laughs) But, I just want to yeah. I want to qualify that a little bit. And 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 and, and yeah, I, I mean, I've seen school boards that do that, too. They, I mean, they come in and they just go through the through the agenda of uh, uh, items and, and vote. But, you know, the exception to that is and, and I think some boards do do this as well. I'm thinking of one village board that, you know, that, that I'm close to where, you know, maybe the the mayor has individual conversations with the different board members, and yeah. that's allowed as long as they're not having a discussion as a group. As long as it's not a conference call with a with a quorum, three or more or members of a five member board or or whatever that that that's allowed. And I think that's where it gets a little tricky. So if you've got one one person quarterbacking a discussion and talking to one board member, you know, at, at a time and everybody seems to be in agreement and then goes back and forth. It seems like that would be a lot of work to, you know, to to get something uh, approved. But if they're doing that, then then technically. But, well, that... you know, but but yeah, I mean, technically uh, <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, but it's it a violates if it's a yeah. loophole. There's a lot of gray areas in this law. And the fact that, and I mean, I've said this to people, you know, in in these positions over the years, just because you can doesn't mm-hmm. make it right. Because, you know, especially nowadays, people don't have to go from one person to another. I mean, they have conversations by text messages. Right. I mean, first it was email. Now they do it by text message. And, you know, we see that all the time. And I've had board members say to me, well, we're meeting two by two. So we don't have to have a, a meeting, you know, an official meeting. I was like. Uh, you know, yeah, it sets my hair on fire. I just violates you know. violates the spirit of the law, at least. And Beth, oh. the other thing, the other the other point I wanted to make that people need to understand is, um, Beth, we we don't really have much recourse when when boards do this, right? I mean, there there isn't like a there isn't a call the police on this. It, it it's it's don't do it or else. But there isn't much else there. Is. Right. There's, there's, there's no no enforcement at all. Right. Um, yeah. Was was Fred Thiel talking about trying to tighten that up at some point? There were conversations, sort of. and, and I actually had had some conversations with him because coming from uh, Pennsylvania, where it can be considered a misdemeanor if you uh, take part in an illegal meeting, and that huh. gets people's attention <laughs> a little bit. That that you know that it's still difficult because in Pennsylvania, as I recall, you had to encourage a district attorney to file those charges, which is difficult to do. But at least when you and and I did it at one point at a school board meeting, you know, where they were voting to go into an executive session, and I said, just be aware that if you're voting to go into an executive session illegally, you may be committing a crime, um, and you can face and it stopped that in its tracks. They they did not go into the executive session because of that. So um, this law in New York needs teeth um, like that, or otherwise I think we're just going to be having these conversations and lamenting. Uh, I, think, I think there are things that we can do, though, and I think there are things that we should do and maybe should even consider ourselves, ourselves obligated to do. When they make these vague pronouncements about why they're going into executive session, we should stand up and say, you know, what what's the reason like give give a specific reason for this exemption number one and when they violate this when they don't i mean there are other things too like if they don't notice meetings properly if you can't have an open meeting if you don't let the public know what's happening that those violations happen um so like we we have the ability to shed light on that on what's going on there and i think we have a responsibility to do that because you know, generally in my life, I've I've come to the conclusion that people who act like they have something to hide usually do, you know, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, we should force them into coming clean. And, you know, when they don't, we should reveal that they're they're not following the rules and we should, you know, give them a hard time about it in, in our publications. I mean, I think we have that responsibility and, you know, I mean, we try to do that. It doesn't win a lot of friends, but. You know, <laughs> and so be it. Joe, Joe, Joe Shaw, you made me do that once, and, and this is going back 
20, 22 years, something like that. And there was a Southampton town board meeting that I was covering. And we had we had gotten wind that um, that they were going to discuss something we were very interested in an executive session. And for the life of me, I have no idea what it was at this point. It was so long ago. Um, but we had we had heard that, that they were going to go into executive session. And and you uh, you coached me. You said, you know, when they say they're going to go into executive session, I want you to stand up at the meeting and I want you to question the supervisor. And I did. And it was very effective. And and if I, I don't remember the exact outcome, but they um, they they said they weren't going to be discussing what we had heard they were going to be discussing in executive session. And and uh, hopefully they 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 didn't. But I think it was effective. And, um, you know, it was effective to let them know that that we were watching and, and listening. And I think effective to see, you know, for the public to see us do that, to know that that we're watching out for um, for their interest as well. And the public obviously has the same right. They they can do exactly yeah. the same thing. Um, anytime we have this conversation, I'm always recalling the conversation I had with a school board, board member back in Pennsylvania who said, we went into executive session to discuss legal matters. And I said, what were the legal matters? And he said, well, what we had to say, if we'd have said it in an open session, we'd have gotten sued. So that made it a legal matter. So, uh, you know, there is a lot of misunderstanding about this. I think it's an important issue. Um, and I think all of us are fighting the good fight on that front and will continue to do so. This is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Christopher Gangemi of the East Hampton Star, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Uh, Chris, let's talk about, uh, uh, I don't know, how do we want to say it's sort of a plateau, a record-setting real estate deal that took place in East Hampton Village this week. I think this is really interesting. It's a very high-profile piece of real estate, right? And it went for an eye-popping price. Yeah, the uh, piece is at the corner of Newtown Lane and Main Street. So it's one Main Street. And it's a 5,000 square foot retail space that sold for $22 million. So it's, it's a lot of money. There's one up on Newtown, I think it was 66 or 68 Newtown that sold for more. It was $28 million last year. So it's not like the number is uh, crazy can, you know, in context, but that had, I believe, 20,000 square feet. So the dollar per square foot situation here is more than three times the average in the last couple of years since 2021. That's, that's approaching Manhattan levels, isn't it? You know, I don't know what the Manhattan levels yeah, uh, per I, I, square foot is, but uh, uh, it's well, uh, boy, well, there's a lot approaching sell. Manhattan well, levels. Well, you got to sell a lot of shoes for that, don't you? Well, the funny thing is, is that uh, Cartier, the, the, who is renting the space last year uh i looked on online they sell a thousand dollar pens and you know as one of their things i just kind of highlighted that because i thought that was funny as a somebody who uses two dollar 99 cent pens uh and they work fine um how many pens so it's not about that it's more about so the, the person who bought it um just edged out elon musk as the world's richest man his name is bernard arnault I'm probably saying it wrong. He's French. I apologize. And it's more like a billboard, yeah. you know, that you're yeah. placing in the midst of these very rich zip codes. And it's a luxury brand that he owns, uh, LVMH, I believe. Um, and, you know, it's uh, Louis Vuitton, th th those kinds of things. It's It's really an advertisement. So... Um, Hal Zwick, who's a commercial real estate uh, salesperson out here, said it's it's really about that. It's it's the end user buying this property as a showcase for the brand, and that that's kind of typical on on the South Fork and some of the the villages, right? I mean, it's it's you know the, these these high end places open up a, a shop and and then people are are you know and they don't expect a lot of sales i think and and it's just it's about the branding and it's about um you know maybe getting people into the manhattan shops or, or stores or 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 whatever i mean it's just getting their name out there and i think you see a lot of that 
Yeah, and I, 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 I wish I understood if it's an effective strategy, um, but it definitely changes the uh, economics of of a main street. I wanted to talk about that, Chris. The the ripple effect of a deal like this in a village that talks a great deal about wanting to remain a small town retain its quality of life, try and limit the amount of pop-up shops and summer summer businesses with the high-end retailers. But this just pushes it further and further over the precipice, right? I mean, if you're a mom and pop who owns a building in East Hampton Village and is able to survive because of that, it stops being economically sensible once the price tag of your building starts to get higher and higher because of deals like this. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a strong tide. And in, and in a way, I only thought about this now, so it's, I have not thought this through. Um, it's, it's like the housing. Um, and I wonder if we need like affordable retail uh, mm-hmm. uh, areas too. And, this, and the same way that we have affordable mm-hmm. housing, because if, you know, if, if all of the stores end up, you know, the rents go up because the prices, the buildings are so high, then the goods in those stores, unless they're operating at a loss because of, of like what Bill said, if it's more of just a billboard situation, then what are you selling in those stores? And if, if you are a regular people, um, who, where are you being serviced for your retail needs? You know, there, there has been some talk about this, the anchor society in East Hampton village and, you know, having, um, it would be almost like a nonprofit um, to uh, have like a five and dime, like there is in Sag Harbor, that type of store. It's well, a you, all, you all are you all are welcome to come come up to Riverhead and spend your money there. We're happy to see you. Chris, you're exactly right. There's a, there's a direct correlation here when you think about farm fields thirty years ago. That mm-hmm. the idea was the farm fields then were growing in value so much that it started to push farmers out of the business because the economics just weren't mm-hmm. there. And mm-hmm. I think that's definitely true for some of the small shops in a place like East. It feels like East Hampton Village is sort of the epicenter for this, though, that that yeah. so many of the high end brands have really migrated there. And Southampton Village has a little of that. And I think Sag Harbor Village. Has, has had, more and more of that. Has, has had some inroads, but I don't think anything like East. I think East Hampton Village has a cachet that that feeds that. Um, it's at least at the top of the list, it seems. But but if yeah, you're think- a, if you're a business owner and and you own your building, but you're working eighteen hours a day to to make that business to to make that business work. Um, you know, selling supplies and you've got somebody offering you $22 million for your building. I mean, how much, how, how long are you, are, are you going to work those 18 hour, you know, days and, you know, facing struggles of, of trying to find employees and, um, you, you know, and all that. I mean, why, why, why would you, if you can just cash yeah. out? Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned Sag Harbor, Joe, I, I I'm interested in what happens to 22 Long Island Avenue. Which was the building purchased uh, by friends along uh, friends along Pongree Belt by uh, by friends of Bay Street, um, yeah. you know, because that I think is up uh, for maybe it was around twenty million. It, it was it, it has a high asking price, right? So what's going to go in there? And then yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing. It's it's it just pressure. It starts to add another pressure on businesses that are already very stressed and. Um, and, and as Bill said, you know, when when those offers come up um, for the buildings, I don't think it's I, I mean, we've talked before and I, I don't I, I, I hesitate to single anyone out. But let's talk about the Sag Harbor five and dime. At some point, the, the folks who own that building have got to get an offer that that they just cannot afford to, to turn down and, and you can't blame them. At some point, that's going to happen. I mean, you can't expect a family to stay in business just because it makes the village quaint. I mean, that's just not it's not fair. Um, So, Chris, I think it's a it's a fascinating point when we talk about affordable housing 
Um, but there's also a commercial aspect to this too that we never really discussed. Yeah. Well, and, and, and shops aside, think about the restaurants too. I mean, the restaurants mm -hmm. that, you know, as, as, as the buildings sell for $20 million and, and the rents go up and up and up and, and how do these restaurants make ends meet? And, and then the restaurants then, then begin to cater to, to the higher end summer crowd as, as their prices rise. And, and there's nowhere for, you know, for, for, um, year round folks to, you know, to, to go and enjoy a, you know, a, a dinner out. It just becomes un, unaffordable. I, I will say that I had a um, flounder sandwich and a cup of soup last night at the corner bar in Sag Harbor. Uh, and it was $26 and it seemed very reasonable. And I was surrounded by other regular seeming people. And I, and I, I had this weird feeling in my head, like, what if, what if the entire village was like this? You know, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's only one or two spots I can go now. And that's yeah, one of them. Yeah. And I felt, you know, limited. And uh, it was a strange sense. It begins to, to take some of the cachet out of the region, too, because I think that's something we always had that made it appealing. And uh, I think that's why these these conversations these big deals don't happen in a vacuum. And these conversations, I think, are existential conversations for the region. So uh, we'll keep having them. Uh, it's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Chris Gangemi of the East Hampton Star, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. And uh, so I wanted to go to Denise and I wanted to talk about the industrial development uh, agency authority. Agency. The ID, agency, the, the IDA up there has given you a bunch of headlines lately, right? There's a lot going on. Well, uh, well, the, um, the uh, IDA, as we call it, uh, is, is an, an independent agency formed by state statute, but it is a, Somehow this is still a government unit of, of the town of Riverhead um, in some ways, but um, they uh, basically exist. Their mission is to like uh, draw business and economic development jobs and, uh, you know, rehabilitation of areas that are that need to be, you know, boosted in the town. And um, they have the power to do financing but they also have, and this is what they exercise more often than not, is uh, the power to grant um, tax exemptions, real property tax exemptions over a period of time. It's usually 10 years and um, that decline over the over the period of time. They may start out at 100 or 75 percent and then decline till they're paying full value on the improvements to the property. Um, but sales tax exemptions, mortgage tax exemptions, and these things, depending on the size of the project, can really add up to like multi-million dollar values. Um, so they are now in, uh, they've just begun the process of vetting the uh, financial capabilities of uh, this triple five group uh, affiliate that um, is in contract to buy massive tract of industrial land uh, at what was the once the uh, Grumman plant in Calverton, where the town is selling um, 1,644 acres, including two very large runways um, and um, for uh, like $24,500 an acre. How's that for a deal, guys? <laughs> and um, anyway, it's a needless to say, a very controversial deal. This uh, These people... Uh, who are buying it have uh, their plans have that they've disclosed have morphed extremely <laughs> over the past um, since like 2018 when the contract was signed and uh, their most recent plans involve um, the development of um, essentially uh, over 9 million square feet of logistics and distribution center space along the runways uh, the creation of new taxiways aprons to handle the cargo jets that will be bringing goods to these um, distribution facilities and um, then uh, you know away that away they go from there with uh, the goods that are going to get delivered to um, you know homes 
businesses, whatever. Um, you know, this is, um, you know, with the boom, with the boom in online purchases that you know really cranked up during the pandemic. Um, the need for this kind of cargo capability downstate is great because um, currently JFK is the only airport in downstate New York that uh, provides those kinds of services. And so this was the last most recent thing that they trotted out in September when they presented this plan to the Industrial Development Agency. And um, since then, uh, there was a little delay in under and beginning the vetting process, which some reporting that I did had something to do with <laughs> that delay. That's another story. But um, so they've now, you know, hired a new law firm as their transaction counsel, and they're hiring an accounting firm to uh, look at some form of financial disclosure from this company, which refused to make any financial disclosure to the town of Riverhead when the town found them qualified and eligible to purchase this site. And um, it came to light that although they've just begun this vetting process, um, it seems they are already planning to approve the, the application because they told oh. their auditors this year that they expect an October closing on this deal, uh, oh, which is so going to result in like over $600,000 in um, administrative fees to this agency which is very hard up financially. Wow, um, so they sort of tipped their, tipped their hand a little bit. Yeah, it was, yeah, because I guess hoping that, you know, who's looking at the audit uh, uh, of the, uh, you know, the IDA, except for members of the fourth estate, that's us. <laughs> and that's why we do what we do, right guys? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I put that, posted that story last night and um, I well, there's, I would say there's more to come because this is a multi-layered like type of onion thing. But, um, you know, it was really pretty, um, even, even though I'm, I'm sort of cynical and expect to see some things that like that really blew me away because they're going through this whole thing about how they're going to vet these people and, you know, making maybe what is just a great show of it. But um, when they're telling their auditor, you know, our bottom line is going to improve a lot because we're going to close this deal in October and it's going to, you know, that, that kind of a fee is like more than their operating budget for the last three years. You know, wow. it's kind of a, kind of a perverse incentive, isn't it? That for yeah. the, for the IDA to, to approve projects, knowing that they have the, these fees coming in. It's their only source of income too. I mean, it's really, you know, um, and I don't think this is I don't think this is, um, you know, this is how the ideas operate. It's not unique to the Riverhead idea. Um, mm. So. Yeah, so that project looks like it's got a fairly clear runway, if I may yeah. use the uh, terrible uh, yeah. analogy. I, I mean, my take on this has been that the town itself, like a town board, which, by the way, appoints the members of the idea, the idea board. But um the town board uh, really wants this to close because they want to get that $40 million because, you know, there's a million ways they want to spend that money. And um, so they or, really or 40, yeah, 40 million they, ways. Yeah. 40 million ways. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think they really want it to happen. Um, the IDA certainly has an incentive to want it to happen. And um, people are, you know, asking a lot of questions like, well, where's the State Environmental Quality Review Act process in, in this, you know? Um, I won't get bore you with all of those details, but there are a lot of unanswered questions, let's suffice to say, about how this is being handled and, you know, what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, there's a 10,000 foot runway there, which I'm told I haven't really, I mean, it's the biggest one outside of JFK in this area for sure, but Mm. So I think one of the longest runways that I've been told in the Northeast. Um, the other runway there is a 7,000 foot runway. And um, they're talking about a great deal of development there. So stay tuned. Interesting stuff. Now, also, out the whole region, really. So, yeah. yeah. Also, also had a riverhead this week. Um, I want to talk about something called. Uh, zero tolerance policy that they're discussing in Riverhead. Why is that controversial, Denise? Um, well, I mean, it's been 
I don't know how controversial it is, really, because it's certainly not in the community. Uh, It raised some eyebrows in certain quarters, but I think that um, it's not controversial in in the community. Um, The um, it's something that local business owners who operate downtown um, really wanted and advocated for. Um, the, the the town had a zero tolerance zone, which basically says, you know, you know can't do drugs, it, like enhanced fines if you do things that we don't want to see or that are illegal uh, in, in this area, which, you know, is downtown. The te- you know, this is part of Riverhead's kind of age old at this point uh, effort to um, revitalize downtown. And so, you know, there are a variety of people who are um, who frequent the downtown area that are widely thought to uh, not enhance the atmosphere. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, yeah. I, mean, I mean, some of the things are like as ridiculous as like you're not allowed to sit on the sidewalks. Well, so they yeah, they've, they've or, changed. or lay down. You right. can't you yeah. can't lay on you can't lay on a bench. You can't sit down unless it's on a bench. You can't sit on a planter box or a garbage you know receptacle. Um, right. It's this code has things in it that like you know kind of caught my attention by you know with things like you know if a police officer believes that you are you know somewhere because you want to sell drugs or that you've had some past in his knowledge he believes that you've had some past like drug conviction um you know they could like arrest people for that and mm. i think that's i we kind of we kind of blasted this in an editorial saying you know it's kind of like codifying uh profiling um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, but let me just say that you know, the local people really wanted this to happen and um, the business owners wanted it to happen and the town board adopted it unanimously and everybody's very happy about it. And we'll see what happens. I mean, there wasn't any kind of opposition to it, like people from, you know, the New York Civil Liberties Association uh, Union didn't come down to complain or anything like that. So I don't know. But in practices, <laughs> in practices where you might start to see the friction. Um, yeah, and I mean, you I know, mean, that, that, of... I say the police chief, he he said because I asked him about this, he he was not consulted in this mm. draft of this, oh and he gosh. and he has got some real reservations about it. So, and people hanging hanging around in downtown Riverhead are people who are living in in and around downtown Riverhead, and if you start targeting them then you know then is it an effort to um to to get people to move out of downtown riverhead i mean yeah and 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 it's mostly apartment dwellers there where where do you go outside if you're an apartment dweller if not to the park along the river yeah it also feels like what's going on here i'm sorry that's but i really feel like this is a this is really kind of a race thing i really do because you know the people who live downtown are are largely you know members of minority groups or majority minority groups in the case of a large Latino population living because there's affordable housing unfortunately a lot of it is like slumlord owned substandard housing and overcrowded but you know they live there and downtown revitalization is not about them like the things that the town wants to attract in terms of businesses is not to, they're not the things that, they're not things that will serve the current residents of downtown. I mean, they just made laundromats illegal on Main Street, you know, in, in this overlay district that they adopted another in the past recent meeting. So it's like, you know, the people who live in these places could use laundromats, but, you know, they can go find a laundromat someplace else because we want to have, and I get this, but, you know, we want to have businesses that, you know, the buzzword oh. now is that activate Main Street, you know, hard, hard so to go somewhere else for, and things hard, like that. Hard to go somewhere else to to wash your clothes if you don't have a car, right? Oh well, you know, we it, see people all the time carrying, you know, exactly, big, or, or, big, or on their bikes, dirty or clean laundry over their shoulders, you know. Sometimes I, I've, seen that, I've seen that guy with three bags of laundry riding his bike, and I, I yeah. admire him for it because I could never. It's just amazing, but but I guess you do what you got to do, right? Yeah. 
So, it's I mean, it's and Denise, I, you know, if I were the police chief, I would worry, too, that this is, just sets up a lot of uh, confrontations, yeah. that you're going to have police officers who end up having to get in people's faces um, over minor stuff. And that just seems like a recipe for a lot of friction. I mean, and I, the reality is, too, and litigation, and the reality is, too, a lot of these things are kind of already on the books, like, you know, laws that, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, loitering, drinking in public, um, urinating and defecating in public, um, you know, these things are already prohibited, um, selling drugs, doing drugs, uh, you know, I, I just, but the town wants to improve downtown and it's a a good goal. It needs to be improved. I mean, it needs to be, you know, revitalized, but um, by the same token, I worry about what this process of what maybe some people will call gentrification is really all about and how it's going to impact people. Where are they going to go? I mean, Riverhead that, that, you know, the Riverhead Hamlet is like one of the last places where, you know, people can find some kind of affordable housing anyway. Um, and I, you know, wh- where do they go from there? You know, do they yeah. move into more into Polish town and then will they get pushed out of it? Like uh, it's, it's, you know, there's a homelessness problem downtown. People believe like, you know, there's too many homeless people hanging around. There's, there are people, you know, there's panhandling. They've, they've banned new, like they can't, they didn't go back and ban existing uses, but like, no more sober homes, no more drug treatment centers, because there are a couple of those on, on Main Street. Um, and, you know, it's like. Yeah, I mean, quality of life is a legitimate um, yeah. goal, but um, there's also it may start to infringe on some people's um, civil liberties. So This stuff doesn't go away. That's the thing. Like, instead of I, it's just I mean, it's bigger than Riverhead, but like instead of trying to. To, to solve these problems and fix things in a way that means something, we just want to push them away, you know, yeah. and it doesn't really do anything in the end. So we have a couple of minutes left and I'd like to change gears and um, give, <laughs> talk, talk with Beth Young uh, about a story she did about Lorraine Dusky. Lorraine is a uh, Sag Harbor, I believe, right? author Um, and she's written a couple of books on the topic of adoption and she has a new book out right and I think you you wrote about that this week Um, tell us about it yeah it's um it's a book called uh hole in my heart uh stories from the fault lines of adoption um uh, Lorraine um uh, gave up her daughter for adoption in 1966 um under very um under circumstances that you know were very very difficult as all as is usually the case for people who are considering giving up their their child and um she always regretted the decision and really had no idea at the time she made it how final it was um so she spent kind of most of her life trying to um uh recover personally from that and be an advocate for um for uh adoptees who want to find their parents to find them um, so she was kind of instrumental in um, in uh, state law that only passed very recently in, in 2020, allowing um, adoptees access to their original birth certificates. Uh, so this this book is a memoir about her experience. Um, and uh, w- one of the things that she really thought the timing of this was important because um, the uh, uh, Roe versus Wade uh protections for abortion for all these years has sort of changed the focus around you know what happens with children who don't have parents who can care for them um i mean this is what this is the way things were prior to roe versus wade adoption was a a huge issue and um if if women have less access to abortions, this is this is a cautionary tale that she really wants to tell right now, um, t- so that people know uh, how how damaging this process is for 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 the for for the mothers and for the children. Um, Was she ever able to get in touch with um, her child? She was, she was, um, and actually, um, her, she she 
managed to develop a relationship with her as an adult. Um, and she lost her daughter um, to, to suicide as well. Um, and she she has a lot of um, a lot that she goes into in the, in the book about um, uh, worries that when she, she didn't know she was pregnant and she was taking birth control pills and she found out later that that might have had an impact on her daughter's mental mm-hmm. health and some of some uh, other uh, health issues. Epilepsy too, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, so this is, you know. Um, I, I was struck. Pers- yeah, go ahead. I, I, I was struck by 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 your article, and and I'm I'm curious to 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 read the book, and it, it just seems like you know the the um. Well, the, we the, lost Bill. The, the, Bill, we're 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 occasionally losing you here. Try again. Yep. You're back. I, I'm sorry. Am I? Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. You're back. Now. I, I I'm intrigued by the book because you know I I think you you see the you know the. The the anti abortion anti abortion folks are are always, you know, the answer is always well, just adoption. Just you can you know just ha- have the baby and adopt it out. And I think that works in the in a lot of cases. But but I think um, you know Dusky points out that that there's, that that there's 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 trauma with that too, and and there's issues with with that too. And it's not as easy as um, don't have an abortion, have a you know d- do an adoption. You know, I mean, there's. Um, there's issues there too. Yeah, these are you know huge life-altering choices that yeah. most women make in private and and don't talk about. And the fact that she had the courage to talk about it, I think, is really commendable. Because um, yeah. every woman I know has dealt with you know not every, but most of the women I know have dealt with very very hard decisions that they don't talk about. Um, yeah, tell us again what the the title of the book is. It's called um, Hole in My Heart, um, and there's a subtitle that I want to make sure I get right. Um, love, hole in love, my heart. And love, and, love and loss in the fault lines of adoption. Got it. Yeah. And that's Lorraine Dusky of Sag Harbor. Um, and she's going to be talking on April 29th at Canio's Books with her editor. Terrific. Yeah. Terrific. And a good article from, from Beth Young of the East End Beacon, something to go look up as well. That. Uh, we are out of time for this week's edition of Behind the Headlines. Uh, I want to thank Beth Young of the East End Beacon, uh, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Christopher Gangemi of the East Hampton Star. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you being here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Uh, and thank you to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Thanks, Bill. And thank you back, Joe. Bill says thank you. <laughs> He's frozen back up again. He says thank you. Fiber <laughs> optic in Riverhead. Come on. We're, we're going to go. We're going to go offer a plea for better, better internet for Bill. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. This was behind the headlines. We'll be back next week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for being here.